Welcome to Profiles from WFIU. I'm Aaron Kane. On Profiles, we talk to notable artists, scholars, and public figures to get to know the stories behind their work. Our guest today is Kate Galvin, who recently became the new artistic director of Cardinal Stage. Galvin is a Barrymore award-winning director and producer, and before she came to Bloomington, she was based in Philadelphia, where she served as casting director at the Walnut Street Theater, and over the years, she also directed and produced several shows at Philadelphia's 11th Hour Theater Company. Kate Galvin has also directed productions at regional theaters all over the country, including Pittsburgh CLO, Portland Stage Company, and North Carolina Theater. She spoke with Aubrey Cedar. What attracted you to the company specifically? A colleague of mine had recommended me to Cardinal Stage as someone who might be a good candidate for this position. So Gabe Golden, who's the managing director at Cardinal, he emailed me and said, hey, we're looking for an artistic director. Here's the job description. Here's the link to our website. And when I looked at the website and looked at the kind of programming that Cardinal's been doing over the past 11 years, it really resonated with me. I saw a very interesting mix of mainstream programming, family programming, and more kind of offbeat, off-Broadway style programming. And my background is that I spent many years working at the Walnut Street Theater in Philadelphia, which is a major regional theater with a huge subscription base, and they do very mainstream, popular theater. So I spent a lot of time working in a theater like that. But as a freelance director and as a producer at 11th Hour Theater Company, which is a small company in Philadelphia that does contemporary musicals, my personal artistic leanings are more towards the offbeat, off-Broadway stuff. So I looked at Cardinal's programming and said, yeah, I get both sides of that equation. I see the value of both of those things, and I would be excited to work for a theater that did both. So that was the big hook for me in terms of getting interested in the job initially and also knowing that I'd be going into an organization that had a managing director so I wouldn't be solely responsible for helming the entire ship felt good. And I'd heard very good things about Gabe, um, who's wonderful. And then when I started the interview process, I learned more and more about where the board wants to go with the company and all of the potential for growth and for partnerships and everything here in Bloomington. And that was really exciting to me to join an organization at a time that they are ready to take the next step in their evolution. And I can really have a big impact is really interesting. And it felt much more exciting than, say, joining an organization that just wants to maintain the status quo. So this felt like a great opportunity to take my experience and my knowledge and bring it to Cardinal, but also to try new things myself and, and learn about what it takes to run a company that is larger than the previous organization that I've been working with, um, 11th Hour, but not so large that I felt like I couldn't handle it or wasn't equipped to manage. On the subject of that, in terms of doing new things in new plays, so as a theater director, 
and an artist, you have to have like a bucket list of plays that you want to do. Sure. Maybe. So what plays have you done that you've loved that are on that bucket list? And what do you have still left to do that you like to do? Actually, it's funny because a couple of the shows that are on my personal bucket list are things that either Cardinal's already done or are going to be doing soon. And that, again, was something that made me interested in the company. I was like, wow, this is a company that's already doing the kind of work that I'm interested in. Um, Grounded, which I know Cardinal's done already, uh, is on my list of things that I still haven't directed but would love to direct. Sex with Strangers, which we're going to be producing producing um, in January. I will not be directing it. Scott Weinstein from Chicago is going to be doing it. But that was one that when I saw that was on the programming for this season was like, yes, that is that's on my list. Some other things that are on my list, there's a and this would not be a good choice right after Sex with Strangers, but maybe at some point in the future, there's a play called The Effect, which is kind of a science play about two people who are in a um, drug trial for depression, antidepressant drugs who fall in love over the course of the drug trial. And they they are having a hard time sussing out whether that love is real or whether it's chemically induced by the drug that they're on. And so it becomes this kind of meditation on, but isn't love chemically induced anyway? (laughs) What happens to our body when we fall in love or fall in lust is a chemical reaction. And we actually are not ourselves in those moments. So that's an interesting piece to me. Um, there's a show called Ada and the Engine, which I'm definitely thinking about for possibly for next season, about a woman named Ada Lovelace, who is the daughter of Lord Byron. And she is considered to be the first computer programmer. She was a Victorian era mathematician and helped create kind of the first calculator, the first computer, and wrote the first computer program for how this thing would work. And it's a really fascinating piece. It's had a couple of productions so far. So those are some things that are kind of on the top of my list as far as plays go. Um, Musicals, I have a variety of things that I'm interested in. There's a a show that I've been working on called Factory Girls over the past couple of years, which is a new piece. hasn't had a full production yet about the first women's labor movement in the United States, which took place in the textile factories of Lowell, Massachusetts in the 1830s. And I realized that all of these shows that I'm talking about sounds like <laughs> historic brainiac uh, plays and musicals. That's definitely um, my personal taste. But there's some things that I'm thinking about for Cardinal Stage. Um, there's a show called Murder for Two, which is a comedy, and it's two actors who both play piano and play a whole bunch of different roles. So that's something that I think we could do really well. Um, yeah, so yeah, the School of Music. You've absolutely. Got the I'm sure we have the talent both. here in town. And um, as far as big musicals go, I mean, the musical Once is very, very high on my list as a piece that I'm just in love with and can't wait to find the right time to do it. What is your theatrical philosophy? So what has led you to produce the kinds of plays that you have in the past? I would say that I am interested in work that engages the audience to either consider our cultural moment in a bigger context or delve deeper into history in a way that we haven't perhaps considered before. And so a good example of that would be I directed a show at the Walnut called Vincent in Brixton, which was about Vincent van Gogh at a period of his life that 
a lot of people don't know about when he was in his early 20s and he was working for his family business, which was an art dealership. And he was sent to London to be, you know, a low man on the totem pole in this very prestigious family business. And we get a glimpse into kind of young Vincent before he's an artist himself, as he's just starting to become an artist himself, and before he's succumbed to mental illness. So we're seeing him in a totally different way than we've ever seen him before. So pieces like that really interest me. Obviously, I talked about historical pieces really interest me. But then you look at something like, I don't know, I I keep thinking about with everything that's going on in the world right now, like musicals like Parade that are about a specific historical event, but have resonance with what's going on right now, where this Jewish man was kind of falsely accused of a crime and it was his Jewish identity that really um, got the town turned against him. And with what we're hearing in the news these days, I think that that could be something that is a historical play that has contemporary relevance. So so that's, I would say, kind of the type of theater that really drives me as an artist. The flip side of that is that I also understand that theater needs to be escapist at times, and that also serves a really important purpose. It's interesting because I've been directing a lot of very dark material over the last couple of years, and and last year, after doing a couple of very serious, very heavy plays and musicals back to back to back, I was really feeling the weight of that and made a conscientious effort to pivot a little bit and put my artistic energy into some lighter material because I felt like that's what I personally needed. And I felt like if I needed that, then probably the audiences needed that too. So I had a great experience last year directing a one-man show, which Cardinal Stage did a couple years ago called Buyer and Seller, which is about a down-and-out actor in L.A. who gets a job working in Barbara Streisand's basement. And it's just a very fun and silly piece of theater. And I went to Portland, Maine to direct it last winter and in the dead of February. <laughs> was greeted by three feet of snow as soon as I got there. And I can't tell you what a delight it was to just walk into the room every day and just spend time in Barbara Streisand's basement. And the second we got it in front of an audience, I could just feel that that joy and that levity that the audience embraced, which I think has extremely high value. And and. I also just was in um, Pittsburgh directing a production of Xanadu, which is a very silly musical based on a flop film with Olivia Newton-John and Gene Kelly. Historically bomb film, you know, just epically bad with a great soundtrack by ELO. Uh, Douglas Carter Bean did a Broadway adaptation that was pretty successful in New York. And we got the rights at CLO to do a reduced cast version of it with just five people. So then it was also became a quick change show. And I can't tell you how much fun I had on that and how much joy it brought to me every day to just go into rehearsal. And all of us just got to like figure out how to make it more silly every day. And I think that that translates in the performance and to the audiences. And they're just having a blast right now. I was I stopped in Pittsburgh on my way out to Bloomington in, during my move. And uh, it sounds like it's going really well. And I think that we're doing this really stupid show. <laughs> and we're serving a really important need in the community right now by doing this really stupid show. <laughs> um, so my hope for the way programming is going to be at Cardinal, um, I, 
I wanted to be a mix of both. You know, I think as an artistic director, it's really important to be a voice for social change to a certain degree and for humanity and for equal rights. We as artists are passionate about giving a voice to all sorts of different people. So I think that that's really important, but I also think it's really important to find the balance of sheer entertainment and joy that we can deliver for people. And so what's great about coming into a place like Cardinal is that we have a whole season to program and find the right mix of things that we can do both of those things. As an artist, you could pick any discipline, but you picked theater. So why did you want to do theater? Um, I'm the oldest child in my family and the only girl. I'm the the oldest of three children. And I don't know, it was just in me from the time that I was very young. You know, I was the star of my school play when I was in first grade. And um, it's always been something that I've been interested in. And I was having this conversation with somebody the other day about just the, the different paths that your life might have taken. I, when I was looking at colleges, I knew I wanted to do acting. And I was auditioning primarily for musical theater programs because I love the um, combination of disciplines with music, you know, singing and acting and dancing. I love all of those things. And so I was interested in going into musical theater specifically. But I also auditioned for some programs that were just straight acting. And I actually got accepted to University of Maryland, which the primary focus there is just on straight theater, not on musicals. And I had gotten into Maryland and gotten into their honors program and accepted. My best friend was going to be going to Catholic University. I really like D.C. And I was like, great, this is going to be fun. I'm going to go to Maryland. I'm going to be in D.C. It's going to be fantastic. I'm going to do this honors program. It's going to be awesome. And then I found out I got into NYU's musical theater program, which for me was my stretch. And I had already been rejected from a couple of different musical theater programs. So I was like, okay, well, if I didn't get into this one, I'm definitely not getting into NYU. And then I found out I got into NYU. And it was a very tense couple of days in the Galvin household (laughs) Um, because it's a very expensive school and my parents don't have those kind of means. But they knew ultimately that if I got in, that it was the place that I needed to be. And so I had to get back to University of Maryland and say, hey, sorry, <laughs> I'm um, I'm taking an acceptance somewhere else and wound up at NYU. But I think that my life could have gone very differently. I would have ended up in theater either way, but my path had I gone to Maryland would have been completely different than the path that I'm on now. And I think about that at any number of points in my life and my career. Um, I went to grad school over in London for producing And I went over there with every intention of staying in London and trying to get someone to hire me and do all my paperwork so that I could legally live there and work there. I was obsessed with London at the time. I was a big Anglophile. And that was the intention that I had when I went over there. I was like, okay, great. I'm either going to stay in London or after I get done this program, I'm going to move back to New York and go work for some Broadway producer. And then one day I got a telephone call from my old boss at the Walnut Street Theater, and he offered me a job to come back to Philadelphia and be the casting director of the Walnut at, like, age 25. And I couldn't pass that up. So that was not at all on my agenda, but it was something I knew was a tremendous opportunity that I had to take. And so... I scrapped everything that I thought I was supposed to be doing and went back and did this job. And 
that position and the time that I spent at the Walnut really opened me up to a variety of different avenues of interest, both in producing and developing new work and ultimately in directing, which is the thing that led me to leave that job is that um, my boss gave me the opportunity to direct a production of Proof for The Walnut and that was going to play at The Walnut for a little while and then go out on tour. And having spent seven years working for other directors, helping them realize their vision to get in the room myself and be the one in charge. As soon as I did that, (laughs) I asked him for a meeting and I, I said, I'm so sorry I have to do this, but I need to go be a director. And he said, yes, yes, you do, and wished me well. And he's had me back to direct several times. But yeah, it's always been a calling for me to work in the theater. I think the immediacy of the art form is so valuable. You know, we have so much technology in our lives today that for an audience to be able to sit in a room with other humans, both interacting as audience members and having that experience, but also that immediacy of the performer right in front of you. There's nothing like that. You know, you don't get that on your phone when you're watching Netflix on the bus. <laughs> you've been in every level of theater. It seems like you've been a performer, you've been a casting director, you've been a producer, you've been a director. I mean, I know that's not all of the yeah, jobs. Yeah, I've been a writer. I, yeah, I've pretty much like done most of the jobs. Have you been a stage manager? Uh, not in a really long time. No. <laughs> I think in college I stage managed some, but not in a really long time. And on the production side, like I don't have a ton of experience building things or designing sets or anything like that. So I leave that to the the more professional people and I'm, give them my ideas and welcome their ideas because uh, I love working with designers I'm a very collaborative director, and it's just so exciting to me to see, like, when I plant this idea in your head, what you come back with to me, because it's always a thousand times better than what I would have thought of. (laughs) So having been at every level of the theater, how does that affect the way that you comport yourself when you are the boss of all of these people? I think it really helps. Stepping into the position of artistic director, I think my experience in all different aspects of the business are a huge asset because I've done <laughs> I, I have done that job at some point and so I, I can really hopefully help lead and support people on my staff and on my production teams and the actors and the artists working for me. And I think that a lot of this comes from my experience as a casting director will translate in a very real way to my style as an artistic director in terms of I'm not the director of the show. My job as the artistic director is to maintain quality control in terms of making sure that our production is at a level of professionalism, both in terms of the performance that's getting delivered for the audience, but also the process of getting us to that performance That's really what I see as my job as an artistic director when I'm not the person who's directing. It's not my job to micromanage the production. It's not my job to dictate to the director what the show should be in terms of the minutia of how a certain scene is going or an interpretation of a song or something like that. And I think having worked in casting and having had to put on someone else's hat and try to see the show through their eyes... Um, There were any number of times when I was casting a show where the director and I had very different visions of what that show would be. 
And I had to take their idea and translate it and deliver to them what they were looking for in terms of the actors for certain roles. I would have been bad at my job if I had just given them what I thought was right. So I think that that's really going to be helpful to me as an artistic director and letting people do their jobs, knowing that it's a priority to hire the right people and let them do their jobs. And my role is to take the step back and see the big picture and make sure that all the pieces are functioning together to deliver a product that we can be proud of. You're listening to Profiles from WFIU. Our guest is Kate Galvin, Artistic Director of Cardinal Stage. She's speaking with Aubrey Cedar. As a producer and artistic director, how do you make sure that the plays that you choose and that you're doing are artistically fulfilling to you and to your team, but that they also connect with your audience? How do you maintain the balance? Yeah, that's going to be, it's going to honestly going to be a learning curve for me because I'm new to the community. Understanding who the Cardinal audience is, who the Cardinal audience could be that we're not reaching yet, how we get to those people. And I'm going to really be relying on our board members, our longtime supporters, our longtime fans to talk to me. And I'm going on a lot of um, lunch dates with donors and other supporters, and I'm thinking about it as my listening tour. If I was a politician, this would be my listening tour um, to really just hear from them like what they love about Cardinal, what they haven't seen that they want to see, where the community need is. So I think the next weeks and months are really going to be an opportunity for me to be a sponge and figure out how to program next season because I have ideas but I don't know yet if they're appropriate hopefully they're in the right ballpark because I the board hired me so (laughs) and does it make you nervous to to be in that situation or is it just like a fun challenge it's a fun challenge to me it's exciting um it comes back to that like you know puzzle solving right I'm like okay here's what I want to do here's what the community needs here's what's going on at the university so we don't want to overlap with them too much you know we don't want to be in conflict with what they're doing we don't want to be doing the same exact kinds of programming so it's like factoring in all those different things. And um, with the Themester project here at IU, I had a lunch with the woman who oversees the Themester. And so I was like, okay, great. So now I have this very specific thing that I need to try to find a play that is appropriate to the theme, but also appropriate to our programming no matter what, and also exciting to our audience. So all of that to me is a fun challenge and is just about tapping all of my resources in terms of shaking trees and other people's brains besides my own. <laughs> the Rubik's Cube of yeah, yeah. Theater. <laughs> so as an artist, what kind of artist or person are you super excited to work with? Like what kind of a person and an artist makes you like, oh God, we're going to have such a fun time? I would say the the collaborators who I most enjoy working with are the people who see the world a little bit differently than I do um, in terms of how their brain works and how they approach material. And a little bit different, not a lot different, because a lot different makes for a difficult environment in terms of communication that we end up talking past each other. But um, there's a couple collaborators who I've worked with on a number of occasions who their brain just works a little differently than me. And I love what they do. I would not have come up with that, you know. 
And so those are the people who I, I enjoy working with the most because we kind of arrive at the same answer but get there in a totally different way. <laughs> and so that's fun because they challenge me and they also bring ideas to the table that I never would have had. So those are the people I'm most excited about working with because it makes me reconsider my creative process in a good way without tearing me down and and me feeling like, oh, God, I'm doing it all wrong. So, yeah, I've started to kind of collect some designers and some actors who I know reliably in the room, like, will challenge me in the best way. And and that's exciting because it means that ultimately – we're going to come up with a production that is more exciting than if I just took the thing that was in my brain and dumped it on stage. (laughs) A lot of what theater makers can do sometimes that is like a challenge and a nerve-wracking thing but is part of what makes theater great is that they sort of push an audience into like a new genre Mm -hmm. or to seeing things in a different way. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about a time that you've done that? Well, I just – the the – thing that comes to mind uh, most easily and and quickly is that um, I just did this production in Philadelphia last winter of a rock musical about Lizzie Borden. So I heard about that. Hopefully that'll be coming to Bloomington at some time in the future. (laughs) (laughs) But it is a rock musical. People would ask me about it and I would say, you know, if Evanescence wrote a musical, that's what Lizzie is. And it (laughs) It just really, the sound of the show is outside the box for what people are used to hearing at the theater. They're used to hearing that on the radio. And there's more theater. I mean, I think obviously with the success of Hamilton and, um, you know, with American Idiot and some other things like that, like we're, we're getting back to pop music being theater music. If you look at something like Waitress with Sarah Bareilles as the composer, you know, that's where theater music started <laughs> was it was the pop music of its day. And I think that we're finally getting back to a place where that's becoming true again, which I'm excited about because I love musicals. And so I want people to be listening to musicals. <laughs> um, and also, I'm a really bad musical theater nerd, so I don't listen to musicals a lot unless it's music I'm really, really passionate about. Like, I'm not going to go home and listen to Oklahoma. Not that I don't have respect for Oklahoma, but it's not what I enjoy listening to. But I will listen to Lizzie just for fun, you know, because it's a great rock score. So Lizzie, for that reason, both the sound of the show, I think audience members were like, oh, wow, this can be musical theater. Wow. And also that it was for women doing this rock musical that you just don't see that kind of power on stage every day from women. And it was really exciting. And we we were addressing, you know, that show, this adaptation of an actual historical event takes a different point of view and really addresses some serious issues that don't get addressed a lot in musical theater that maybe are the the, the um, realm of serious straight plays. You know, um, the way that the writers have framed the action is that we see Lizzie as a victim of sexual violence in her own household, that she's a victim of sexual abuse. And that's not something that musicals address normally. So there was a lot about that particular production that I think kind of pushed the envelope with our audience and also that it was kind of a horror show, that it was a thrill ride, you know, and that's, I think, also something that is a visceral experience that you don't always get in a musical or in a play that you're really having a (laughs) 
very riveting, visceral experience in the theater in the moment that isn't... um, It's a different physical and emotional experience than, say, watching a tragedy like Streetcar that is just set up so beautifully and and that kind of character study. This was more like you get on the roller coaster and you go. That's a really different kind of theatrical experience. And how do they react to it? How did your audience react? Uh, It went really well. (laughs) It went really well. Um, We definitely had... uh, (laughs) One of the most interesting nights in a not good way was... um, we had a a full house one night and I was so excited that, you know, we had every seat sold and it was, I was like, great, this is going to be great. We're doing this rock show. We've got a full house tonight. They're all young people. Um, but uh, they were students at Drexel University who were on a course that required them to go see a certain number of shows in the semester. And a lot of the students were not um, English speakers as their first language. And so they were just like, what is happening? These girls are belting their faces off and screaming things at us. And we don't know what's going on. So it was it was a really funny, uh, not fun for the actors, but funny to me night of like, wow, this audience just had no idea what they were in for tonight. But then more often than not, the nights were people were coming in. They'd already heard about the show and they were hyped up to be there. And so they were like, you know, reacting like it was a rock concert, which it sort of was, you know, Um, and and that was really thrilling. Why do you think it's worth it to do shows like that that push the envelope, even if they obviously this one didn't, but even if they like fail or they spook the audience into no one showing up? I think it's important for the art form to move forward. And I think it's also important to like get people out of their comfort zone and get them to take risks and You know, I had a talk with Chad over at BPP the other day, and we were both kind of thinking about just getting people in the mode of being okay with taking a risk on a theater show, on a a production, on a play, on a musical, whatever it is. And he was saying, you know, we when we go to the movies, we're okay if it's not great. We go in, we have a certain set of expectations. And if it doesn't like meet, if a certain film doesn't meet our expectations, we're not never going to go to the movies ever again, right? We're always going to go to the movies. And wouldn't it be great if theater audiences felt the same way that it's okay to go take a risk and maybe you're not going to love this one, but come back, you're going to love the next one. I think that Cardinal has built a certain um, level of brand trust, which I'm hoping to solidify and maintain uh, moving forward that we get the audience to the point where they trust us, even if they haven't heard of it. If we say it's good and we're investing in it, then you should take a chance on it and come along for the ride with us. Because even if it's not something you love, you're going to see that there's value in this play or this musical. Do you think you can get anybody to be a theater lover? Oh, uh, (laughs) that's a good question. Probably not anybody. But um, we, our, our favorite comment when I was working at 11th Hour was that we had a number of people who became subscribers who would come to us and say, you know what? I hate musicals, but I love 11th Hour. And that spoke volumes to us. We're like, great. We're doing it right because we're breaking the mold. We're giving you a different version of what this art form can be. Um, so I think that, you know, I can't necessarily get anyone to be a theater lover, but I could probably find the right play for anyone that would get them to have a great experience, you know. 
Um, it's just a question of like figuring out how to reach people on an individual level because there's going to be some people who go see, I mean, people like me who go see anything and whether they like it or not, have a great time or have an intellectually stimulating experience or an emotionally fulfilling experience. But there's other people that are going to be selective theater goers and that's okay too. You know, um, my hope is that everybody's engaging at some level in some capacity, even if it's that they might not personally love the theater, but they want their kids to have an appreciation for the arts. So they're going to bring them to a kid's show, you know, um, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. So name for me your top three favorite artists of any discipline. Oh. Hmm. I know it's hard. Yeah. Just like of the moment. Who's inspiring you? I would say that uh, Sam Mendes is someone who's kind of always on that list for me. I'm actually going back right now and rereading a book called Stepping into Freedom that was written about his time at the Donmar Warehouse in London. He took over this kind of rinky-dink theater in London that then became this huge international kind of juggernaut. And he did it at a time when he was very early in his career and the theater was in bad shape and there was no support system and they weren't getting any funding from the National Arts Council of England. And it's really, it's great to go back because he's someone who inspires me as an artist. When I was in college, I had a great part-time job working at Studio 54 when Cabaret was playing there in its kind of first go-around. And I realized uh, a couple months ago just, you know, what a huge impact that experience had on me watching the show day in and day out and just seeing his craft in it definitely made a big impression on me you know, 10, 15 years later when I started directing myself, I'm, I'm sure that that was a big influence. But also going back and reading this book and seeing kind of how he built this company as a producer. And also his films, I think, are, are really amazing. So he's someone who I really love. Um, Baz Luhrmann is also an artist who I will just go see anything that he does. And I won't always love it. But I just the his brain... Again, his brain works totally differently than mine, and it's so it's fascinating for me to see kind of what comes out of it. <laughs> and I had the good fortune to see his production of La Boheme on Broadway years and years ago, and that was also a very kind of inspirational piece for me that made me look at opera and say, like, wow, okay, it doesn't have to be what we think is opera. It could be this. It could be exciting. It could be immediate. And then, I don't know. I mean, I love Sarah Bareilles. I, I just think she's a fantastic songwriter. I'm really excited about Waitress that she kind of stepped into the musical theater world. And I I feel like there's some things in Waitress in terms of the work that she did on it that are really, really brilliant. Some other things that are, you know, first-time musical theater writer mistakes. But I'm really excited to see if she continues to work in that medium, because I just think she's a tremendous storyteller and, and performer. I, I've gotten to see her in concert, and she's just fantastic. So she's someone I admire a lot. Do you think that, so obviously we're in a really unique time right now politically yeah. in the world. What do you think art should, if anything, do about that? <sighs> um, Big question. Yeah. Take your time to think. No, no, no. It's a very difficult time right now, and I think it's important for us to realize as citizens that we are in control of our own destiny and that we don't have to keep going down the road that we're on if we don't want to. 
So I am interested in work that shows us, A, that we've, you know, made mistakes in the past and changed the course of our country. And also pieces that, like, are inspiring and show people taking action, ordinary people taking action that is for the greater good. I think those are the two things that art can help us do in a way that is engaging and not didactic or lecturing or hectoring in any way. (laughs) Watching how things have been unfurling in Washington is just it's scary and it's disheartening but it's also it it makes me want to get out there and participate in a bigger way and not be complacent and I think that if art whether it's theater if it's painting if it's music if it's sculpture whatever it is can like inspire people to engage with what is going on in the world and actively work to get the country moving in a direction that is more positive, that is bringing people together, then that is the kind of work that we need right now in this moment. So I think about, you know, I mentioned this show Factory Girls that I've been working on for a while. And for me, that piece is thrilling in a totally different way than Lizzie is thrilling. You know, that is a piece about girls in the 1830s who didn't even have the right to vote, who organized, who marched, who went on strike, and they didn't just sit back and take the cards that were dealt to them. They did something. They took action. They unified. They worked with the men who did have more power to figure out how to change the direction of things in their circumstances. So there's a real thrill that goes with that, of seeing that on stage and seeing ordinary people kind of really collectively take action, I think is really exciting. Um, the other thing <laughs> when when uh, that I've just been thinking about a lot is just like everyone needs to be producing Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson right now. I mean, it's such a great piece of theater that was written during the Obama era in reaction to kind of the tidal wave of his populism in its own kind of different form of Donald Trump's populism. But it also, it does such a great job of showing us what the kind of (laughs) other side of the looking glass is and kind of the destructive or dangerous side of uh, (laughs) just riding the will of the people that that only gets you so far and that at a certain point like governance is a real thing that needs to happen and someone needs to take the reins and you know they were doing that during here during the election last year yeah yeah (laughs) little did we know (laughs) but that's the show that uh you know if I could produce that show tomorrow I absolutely would you know (laughs) um I think that it's something that's both entertaining and funny but also like really kicks you in the gut and says like (laughs) we've been down this path and there's got to be a better way in the future you know so you like kicking people in the gut with your theater when you can every once in a while I think it's a good thing to do (laughs) so was there a certain production that inspired you to because you as an audience member were kicked in the gut to do that as a theater maker Mm. or was it just that you saw that you like it as a director So I went to see uh, this probably isn't the landmark production that made uh, 
kind of turned turned this switch on in me. But um, something that made a big impression on me in recent years is that I went to go see a production of Here Lies Love at the Public Theater a couple years ago. I had a, a few friends who were in it. And it's a kind of disco, dance club, pop musical about – Imelda Marcos. And it's it's basically the story is very similar to Evita, but it's about, you know, this woman who is incredibly popular with the people and incredibly destructive to her country. And the way that Alex Timbers staged that piece, you you had to engage with the actors, with the action in a way that really felt immersive and you could not sit back and not get swept up. It was not a proscenium situation. It, it the, He set it up like a dance hall so that the audience is on the floor and the action's happening all around you and amongst you. And you had to move around as the production went on the, the way it was staged. It was incredible. It just and technologically amazing. But what it did was it put you as an audience member in the shoes of the public who became her adoring public and then rose up against her. And going on that journey and having the glamour of the nightclub and all of the glamour that Imelda Marcos kind of brought to her her position was really enticing. And then they turned it around at the end as things started going badly and uh, the, sh- the way the show ends is that is totally acoustic and it's riveting and it's totally moving and it's totally different from everything. And the emotional impact that that show had and the way that he was able to take the audience members on the same ride as the public took during her tenure was just genius, I thought. And for me to be able to, you know, translate that kind of experience into a different piece or in a different kind of theatrical setting, um, I think is something that would be really appealing and I think is a really exciting experience for the audience. Yeah. And is it just about excitement for the audience or does that gut punch do something else for you? That I, I mean, I hopefully it's it's something that starts conversations after the show that kicks people into action, that makes them see the world. We talked about this a little bit earlier, like just really see the world in a different way than they had initially considered. And if that means that they're kinder to another person who's different from them, or it means that they like get out their checkbook and write a check to a cause, that's not our theater, but that is something that they're passionate about because they were inspired by something they saw at our theater. Um, that's that's great. You know, if it makes them pick up their phone and call their senator, that's great. <laughs> so um, for yourself as an artist, you came here to be an artistic director. Is that the goal for you or do you foresee other things you want to do? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, we talked about the, you know, kind of the various areas that I've worked in my life. Um, I think that where I've been up until now has actually been preparing me for this artistic director role, even though it wasn't what I necessarily set out to do. So I feel like I'm not ready to know what the future holds yet. I've learned my lesson on that one. (laughs) But I think that this is kind of the right thing at the right time for me at this moment in my life and my career. And I think that this opportunity will either give me a chance to grow. Well, it will definitely give me a chance to grow. There's no if. (laughs) It will give me a chance to grow as a person and as an artistic leader. And that may open up other doors and other paths for the future, but I don't really know what they're going to be yet. Kate Galvin, 
Artistic Director of Cardinal Stage. She's been speaking with Aubrey Cedar. For more information about Cardinal Stage, including showtimes, auditions, education, and outreach, go to cardinalstage.org. I'm Aaron Kane. Join us again next week for Profiles. Thanks for listening. Copies of this and other programs can be obtained by calling 812-855-1357. Information about profiles, including archives of past shows, can be found at our website, wfiu.org. Profiles is a production of WFIU and comes from the studios of Indiana University. The producer is Aaron Kane. The studio engineer and radio audio director is Michael Paskash. The executive producer is John Bailey. Please join us next week for another edition of Profiles. Profiles.